whiskey, whiskey. Hey, welcome to the Whiskey Topic. I'm Mark Vylock. And I'm Jamie Johnson. And today's topic is... Well, we have Nick Vilalon here from Beam Centauri. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks doing for being very well. here. Oh, it's good to be back. We're going to explore a couple... I have not seen any of these ever on a, a table or in a whiskey cabinet yet. So we're going to taste a couple different things. Yeah. Uh... A couple were launched a few years ago. Some just made it back in the LCBO, and another one is kind of a new product that we uh, that we brought out. So one of them is not even a whiskey. No, exactly. So I'm going <laughs> a little bit uh, offside here. Uh, the the road less traveled is what I like to call. You know, uh, being a brand ambassador for the portfolio of Edrington, uh, most of my time is going to be spent talking about the McAllen and Highland Park, which is what we did last time I was on the show. Uh, now I'm going with other ones of our brand. Some people might be familiar with them. Some people maybe a little bit less. Uh, I brought a, a very special bottling of Brugal, our Dominican rum company, which Edrington uh, acquired back in 2009. Still being made by the family over there. I'll be talking a little bit more about the history in just a second. I also bought, brought a, um, a special bottling of Ooh. the UK's best-selling scotch for the past 37 years, wow. and that is Famous Grouse. Uh, this is uh, Black Grouse, Alpha Grouse, a limited edition that was launched uh, about seven years, six or seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Had completely forgotten I had a couple of those bottles at home. They got pushed back to the, uh, the back of my collection. Uh, I, think, I think it kind of makes the whole topic of road less traveled uh, that much more relevant. And then this is our newest edition in the Cuddy Sark line of product. Uh, beautiful heritage brand that a lot of people know as whatever their granddad was drinking yeah. maybe 30 years ago. This is Cuddy Sark Prohibition. It really ties the story of the, the brand back to the mo modern era and offers kind of a new product that I think is going to be very, very pleasing for a lot of uh, whiskey aficionados out there. I am. Um, I think if uh, Nicole um, uh, steps out of the shower, because uh, she's in the shower right now, um, I, she can tell you the Cuddy Shark story because um, Nick told her the story in, in, uh, in New Orleans and Nicole's like, I think I know everything about Cuddy Shark now. I'm like, really? This is great. You, can, you're, you're, you got a brand ambassador job now. This is great. Amazing. Um, um, if you guys hear the pitter patter, as you know, we are live at, at the studio, quote unquote. Um, and so the dogs are pitter pattering yeah. on the yeah. floor. Uh, no, that's wonderful. This is going to be great. I mean, Black Rouse, um, well, I'll let you start. Where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I think we're going to start with the, with the rum. Let's start with the lighter uh, uh, kind of category that I brought today. So the bottling I brought is Brigal 1888. So 1888 being the date that Brugal was founded in Dominican Republic by a uh, Spanish gentleman of the name of Don Andres Brugal. Uh, he was actually the founder. He was born and raised in Siges, which is a small balneary city about an hour and a half west from uh, uh, Barcelona. You can still go there today. It's a very nice resort where you can stay right on the beach. Now, he first migrated to Cuba. This is where he found out about rum because he was much more of a brandy fan to start off with. Discovered rum, completely fell in love with it. So much so that he decided that he wanted to, you know, kind of get in the game, get to get a little bit of action going. Uh, now, obviously, Cuba being run the way it, it was, politically speaking, I decided to move to the Dominican Republic so he could open his own company, mm -hmm. being the sole owner of the company. And this is where he founded Brugal. Now, his idea was to make something uh, that, was, that would be a premium offer in the rum market. You know, rum was just getting commercialized for the first few years back in the late 1800s uh, on the back end of being produced mainly by slaves. Now, it, was, it started to be produced by uh, larger companies and people that had a little bit more skills in the craft of making spirits. Don Andres was one of those. So keeping the whole Spanish brandy idea in mind, he wanted to do the highest quality possible 
of rum. And this is where his idea of making a dry rum, a rum that had nothing added to it, that was purely just the result of sugarcane fermentation and distillation, uh, came through. And still today, we make the rum in the very same way at the Brugal fa uh, factory in Dominican Republic. And this is a, a pretty big deal um, because rum has, I guess, fewer regulations and there's uh, less kind of, you can do a lot more with rum, which means you Absolutely. can produce a lot of cheaper rums that aren't necessarily as authentic yep. uh, in, in the way you described uh, Brugal here. Um, so tell us kind of the counterpoints. What are the other rums that, you know, are maybe cheaper rums or the uh, rums that don't have as much attention paid to that uh, history? Well, you, you see, uh, speaking for anybody uh, living in North America, like, I mean, those cheap rums with added flavors and added sugar are most of what we could find the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think it's only been five to 10 years since we've been able to find high quality rums or, or actually premium crafted rums on the shelves of our local liquor stores. It is completely legal to add uh, sweetener in your rums and still call it rum. Really the only definition for a rum is a spirit that's been both fermented and distilled from sugar cane, but there is no minimum amount or maximum amount you can put in there. So as soon as you kind of do a base spirit from sugar cane, you have a rum there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever you put in there afterwards, it's completely fair play. Now, there's kind of two ways of looking at it for some people. Uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of start adding some artificial flavors to hide some of the flaws and make maybe make some better margin on the final product. But on the other end, it also opens the door to people who are very creative to make some beautiful product and start playing around with, you know, uh, the nature of the oak that goes in the cask that's going to age the product uh, and so on and so forth. You know, uh, uh, one of the product that's been doing a big buzz in the, the rum industry, and I think a lot of whiskey fan actually heard about this product and bought it themselves, is Plantation's uh, Stiggins Fancy, which is partly distilled with uh, pineapple husk to give the uh, the rum a little bit of flavor without being a flavored rum. A great way of doing things, something that you couldn't do for any other spirits category, really. So uh, for Brugal, for us, it's a lot more about the types of oak that we use. So being owned by Edrington, the cask policy that goes into aging our rums, because 100% of our products are going to be aged in oak barrel for a minimum of six months for our entry level pro uh, product, for a minimum of uh, two years for anything that hits North American market, and going even further than that for some of our special product. Now, if you know a little bit about Edrington, about the two single malt houses that I mentioned earlier, uh, McAllen and Highland Park, you can expect the sherry cast to make an appearance. And this is definitely one of those rums right here. I thought this is how it tied Brugal very nicely to this show, mm -hmm. uh, being mostly about whiskey usually. I thought a rum made in the same fashion as a single malt could be very interesting to bring in. This one I like to introduce as a blind tasting. Uh, uh, when I do scotch blind tasting, I introduce it in there. Yeah. And really? it fools a lot of people. The nose is... People are yeah. super confused. So Brugal 1888 here is a product that we only bottle once a year. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk a little bit about our angel share just after explaining what goes into making it. But it's a product that's first aged for four to six years in uh, first failed bourbon barrels. So after that period of time, we pop open the barrels, take whatever's left in them, switch them over in uh, dry aloes or sherry seasoned casks made out of Spanish oak, and then age them for a further uh, four to six years. Oh. So you're going to get rums in here anywhere between eight to 12 years old, which for Dominican standard is very, very old. Uh, and it just gives that beautiful flavor from the sherry to the final product. But the result is also slightly different than uh, a whiskey would be because it doesn't have the same astringency that grain spirits has. It has that buttery roundness that rum is known for, but the finish is all dryness. It doesn't have any of that heavy sweetness that some people 
associate to rum and maybe the reason why they walked away from the category altogether. Yeah, it's, it's the tequila problem. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast yeah. before where if you're a university and you drink a lot of tequila, you're never going to th- think of tequila as a sipping a drink. But there are. And I think rum kind of falls in that same category where, um, where we, we experienced in our legally drinking youth. And then we're like, no, it's, it's you know, uh, and more of an ignored category in that respect. Absolutely. So you can see nice complexity, super beautiful exotic fruit flavors on the palate, but you do get that characteristic sherry cask dryness on the finish. A little bit of dark chocolate, a little bit of red fruit, lots of spices make their appearance in there. That's, there's a lot of spice in oh, here. It's uh, just yeah. everywhere. It's not kind of that peppery dark spice. It's just, it's a little, ooh, it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, no. beautiful mm-hmm. spice finish. The, uh, and it is dry. It is. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No sweetness uh, left over on the finish whatsoever, which is what a lot of people are impressed by in this product. Wow. Uh, I remember when we first launched it in DLCBO, a lot of people were huge fan of it. So I think a lot of people will be happy to know that it's actually back on shelves now. Mm-hmm. And we actually dropped the price by 20 bucks, wow. down from $70 to $50 a bottle, just because we were able to secure a, a much larger allocation for Canada. That is like the opposite to what happens with whiskey right now. <laughs> I know. I know. And whenever Nicholas says price, I, 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 you know, I'm always scared. <laughs> I'm like, scared. is it $800? Yeah. Is it $5? Yeah, yeah. Nicholas comes by. He's like, hey, try this. I'm like, it's five grand. I'm like, oh. Yeah, oh, yeah cool, no. cool. No problem. No problem. Like yeah. to mix the cars a little no, bit. No, this is really delicious. This is really so delicious. And I don't consider myself like a big rum drinker. Um, so, but this is really nice. Yeah, this is definitely, Brugal is definitely that type of, of, of house of rum that will convert some whiskey drinkers back to a little bit of rum in their cabinet, just switching yeah. things up from now, uh, every now and then. And I mean, this is a beautiful limited edition bottling as well. So at the Brugal distillery, everything is still run by the family. We're on our fifth generation of Maestro Roneros, which is master rum makers, essentially, which are all descendant, direct descendant from Don Andres Brugal, our founder. Yeah. So Jacile, which is our first female uh, Maestro Ronero, is, is actually uh, uh, Don Andres' great, 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 great uh, granddaughter. Wow. Yeah. And wow. she works with her cousin Miguel, as well as her other c- uh, c- cousin uh, Don Gustavo. And they actually work on making this product. So when you purchase a bottle of this limited edition, you actually get not only the year it was bottled in, but the, num- the, the number of the batch and which of the Maestro Ronero was actually in charge of that batch. A little bit of a collectible uh, yeah. element to it right here, which I, which is, I think is, is always fun. Kind of goes deeper in that transparency of product and how it's being made. You have the five Maestro Roneros that can be involved. And as I said, we only produce this once a year because the angel share in Dominican Republic is quite different than the one in, uh, in Scotland per se. You know, in Scotland, we always talk about that average of 2% angel shares a year. For us in Dominican Republic, where our warehouses are basically four tin walls and a, a tin roof, uh, our angel share is going to be somewhere on average between 10 to 12%. And on a very tough year, it can go up all the way up to 20%. Wow. So we never age anything for more than eight years at a time in the same cask. Anything that goes beyond that is going to be double age, so switched barrel to age in something else, which is why we do the first four to eight years, in this case, in the bourbon barrel, and then switch it over for another four to eight years in those sherry casks. Got a question about the label. Um, I've noticed a bunch of whiskeys that I've uh, been buying from the LCBO. Yeah. On the other side, they, there's like a hand crossed off yeah, thing. You have it here. What, what, what's that? What's that's, that uh, that's proof right here. Oh. oh. So yeah, or, or, or made by, because uh, so in the case of the Brugal, we used to be uh, distributed by Remy Cointreau mm-hmm. down in the United States, which is not the, the case anymore. So they just crossed that off okay. because that was bottled back when we were still distributed by them. If you get one of the more recent uh, bottle of 1888, it's actually going to be say 
saying product of the Dominican Republic distributed by Edrington Americas. In the case of uh, Cadiz Arc Prohibition, this was for uh, the SAQ market where it's not legal to write proof on there. Really? You have to write ABV. Gotcha. So they actually cross uh, proof. I mean, the nose on this is, is very familiar to a whiskey. Uh, it gets you right there. I'm, I'm trying to think. It, it almost reminds me like uh, some of the um, uh, Canadian whiskeys that use different oaks and yep. use like Canadian uh, redwood, um, whatever the fancy name is for Canadian trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the big, tall Canadian trees. Uh, but it has that kind of note. <laughs> Jamie loves my technical... Um, well, there's a lot of American oak here in I Canada. I published the book, Jamie. I, 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 I read and I type. I don't talk. <laughs> I always do that to Nicole. Whenever I make a... Um, she proves stuff and there's like grammar mistake. I'm like, just just don't don't remember. Don't forget. I, I'm a published author. It's uh, This, is, this is the grammar. This is the best I can do. You should probably apologize to yourself for putting yourself on the spot right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's really great. Uh, like yeah. the very, um, yeah, that, that nose is very, very yeah. familiar. Uh, very, very familiar. And then the, yeah, everything that, else comes through right wonderfully. The oak takes a lot of place on the nose for Brugal because we distill at a very high proof uh, in column still. So we get a very light uh, spirit that comes out of the still. So the wood can take a lot of space on the final product. That's amazing. It's great. Glad you like it. Yeah, this one is kind of beautiful. You can see how it, it gets confusing for some, you know, whiskey drinkers who get to taste this wine expecting that rum will be something sweet so they really don't have anywhere to go when it comes to guessing what is hidden behind the the, the paper bag that I put over it right right and I mean some rums have that I mean it's, it's true with a lot of blended scotches as well have that 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 kind of corn middle I mean not necessarily corn but that kind of like I guess maybe overproofed or yep. what, what have you just middle. sweeter kind of base spirit taste. Yeah, yeah exactly exactly and that I don't detect any on this no. uh, just that's great yeah all right going with with new flavors and, and yeah. stuff we're not used to getting in this a precise spirits category so uh the next one we're going to be having is called uh the black grouse alpha grouse by famous grouse that's a lot of grouse, that's a lot of grouse. <laughs> you didn't even trip up when you said You're that right? i wouldn't have been able to say that like that with no. christmas coming i think no. i'm just ready for turkey and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that so this one is um as i said limited edition that we launched a number of years ago and it was for all the fan of the, your pity whiskey, whiskeys out there. Yeah, pity whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> pity whiskey out there. Uh, it's going to be kind of a tease because this is impossible to find anymore. But, That's uh, okay. That's okay. Uh, it's always a fun one to try. It's yeah. a bigger, bolder black grouse. So it actually has uh, a lot more of the uh, smoky whiskeys that we use uh, in our blend. Mm -hmm. So more smoky malts, but also more of those smoky grain whiskeys. Because uh, up until the first time we launched black grouse was in uh, 2010. Now at that point, we actually used Lafrog uh, to uh, as as our peat and malt to give the smokiness to the whiskey, and then from there we started de developing our own uh, peated grain whiskeys as a way of making everything from from scratch sure. ourselves as much as a blend can do so. But everything else that goes into there are Edrington owned distillery product. So you're going to get McAllen Highland Park Glen Turret and yeah. a bit of Glen Rothis in there. So uh, explain to us um, uh, blended scotch versus single malt scotch uh, for our listeners. What's yeah. the... So th I think that's a, a great point to touch upon. I think a lot of people still get kind of uh, uh, confused as to what the difference between the two of them is. When you talk about a blended whiskey, you essentially talk about uh, a blend of malt whiskeys that can come from various distilleries as well as grain whiskeys. Now, the malt whiskeys are all, always going to be distilled in copper pot still, but grain whiskey can actually be distilled in column stills. 
it doesn't have to be, but it can. So usually you're going to get a much lighter style of spirit in your blended whiskeys. Uh, by position, if you look at a single malt, everything comes from malted barley, all made at a single distillery. It doesn't have anything to do with mixing together multiple barrels. A lot of people think that single malt comes from a single year or a single barrel every single time. No, it only means that all the barrels that go in one vatting come from the same distillery and are all uh, uh, malted barley whiskey, essentially. And, and they're treated differently. So when you say grain whiskey, you, you probably mean corn. Uh, there's going to be corn. There's going to be rye. There might be a little bit of wheat from time to time. The yeah, mash bill changes quite a bit. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. especially for, co- uh, for, for any grain whiskeys that, that's made in column stills. Right. Because with the column stills, the congeners that you produce through your distillations are not as featured as they would be in a pot still distillation process, which really concentrates those aromas. In a column stills, you really strip away all those congeners, all those uh, aroma compounds, right? So the grain kind of become just uh, a starch, a sugar pocket. You're saying you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between like a corn, heavy corn mash or a rye. It would coming off the still probably. Yeah. But uh, after aging in, in barrels, most likely not. Right. Okay. Especially if they're blended together. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that 100% corn or 100% rye. Yeah. You couldn't tell the difference. I'm just telling that you won't be able to tell if the you increase in five percent the rye content from your mash bill. Right. 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 It's just if it's in the column still, it's going to strip down a lot of those flavor compounds out of the final spirit. So it's a more similar process to a lot of Canadian whiskeys. Absolutely, made. yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a very, uh, very similar way to to how Canadian whiskeys actually make uh, their whiskey. This is why we actually spell whiskey without the e in Canada because we make our whiskeys here in a very similar fashion to how they used to make uh, blended whiskeys in Scotland. So Scotland was our inspiration behind making our our whiskeys. Yeah, I um I remember I, I think I bought Black Grouse for the first time when it came to the LCBO, yeah. and I, I thought I made the best discovery in the entire world because yeah. like yeah. A, it was at the time it was like a thirty thirty five dollar I think it is still, it's still yeah. that same price dollars yeah. wow. uh, and it's a blended Scotch and it's delicious and it's smoky I'm yeah. like you know am I am I nosed with the inability to detect smoke yeah. <laughs> it's right. barely smoky for me. Yeah. it's uh yeah I, I can barely barely tell barely. so so Black Grouse which we now call Smoky Black just from a, a repackaging because. A lot of people didn't know that it would be smoky when they bought black grouse as opposed to famous grouse. Right. They thought they were just kind of buying the premium to the classic red label. Uh, so now we renamed it Smoky Black just to kind of convey okay. the message a little bit better. Uh, and that's also back in the LCBO. So very slightly smoky, right? Most of the blend is actually going to be unpeated malt uh, in the form of those main four distilleries that I mentioned, McAllen, Glen Rothes, and Glen Turret. Then you're going to have Highland Park, which is just from the get-go, very, very lightly smoky. And the smokiness is mainly going to come from the grain whiskey. Nice, nice. And this one, a little bit more of, uh, of Highland Park, I'd imagine. Obviously, I don't have the whole blend breakdown. It's not something that's readily available uh, as it changes from one bottling to one bottling. But I would imagine that if we get more of those peated malt, maybe there's a little bit of Lofrog uh, uh, still in there to give it that extra smokiness. It's okay, Marcio, we know it's you're okay, over yeah. there. The <laughs> <laughs> we have Marcio waiting in the wings. <laughs> but we do, and, and he's ready with Lafroig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but on the nose, very floral-like note. So for me, like that reminds me a lot more of, of Highland Park than it does mm-hmm. Lafroig, for example. For it sure. kind of has a little bit of that heather honey that, uh, that it's just trademarked to, to our northernmost distillery in Scotland. And on the palate, this one is really just a beautiful scotch. Do you find that when you when you are talking famous grouse or Cuddy Sark, you get automatic 
reactions from people who are like who who have an idea in their head absolutely of, of what they're going to try absolutely yeah. everybody has preconceived idea about the bottom shelf whiskey right the economy category right. of whiskey but you know especially when it comes to famous grouse what i like to tell people is that you don't become you know the uk's best-selling scotch just by accident yeah and and yeah. for 37 years running uh, added over on top of that i mean those people know a little bit about their whiskey yeah. uh, they go out for a beer and a, uh, for a pint and a dram every day after work and mm -hmm. famous grouse is usually going to be that one so i'm not saying that it's going to be your mind-blowing best scotch you ever had mm -hmm. but you know at the price point you're getting something that's very very high quality they don't deal with any obscure single malt distillery they, uh, they only deal with some of the highest like the most highly re regarded distilleries out there yeah. which yeah. is something a lot of people forget about uh, when you look at kind of the pedigree of the company behind it mm -hmm. you go like well that's that's pretty legit malts to have mm -hmm. in in yeah. a blended whiskey and uh also they use a lot of sherry casks themselves even for the grain whiskey which is something that's not traditional in mm -hmm. the uh, blended scotch industry you know you usually go for those, those second third even fourth fill bourbon barrels because you just want to use them as, as much as possible. But just from the body of this, just, just the texture of, of this on the palate, you can tell right away there's some sherry malts in there. Mm -hmm. It has that big, round, thick, viscous texture that you associate with some of those Speyside whiskeys, uh, Agent Sherry cask. And then it just has that little bit of smoke on the finish, which is mm -hmm. more than smoky black, but still not anywhere close to an Isla whiskey, for example, that just adds in complexity and makes something very interesting. This really was $47, good. I think, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. And it's it's, it's one of those so whiskey good. that you can just drink yeah, all really, night. Yeah, it's really, really good. The, yeah, the, the Black Grouse, the special bottlings are such a deal. Oh, I mean, yeah. we, we talk about the whiskey shortage. There is a whiskey shortage in, like, certain things. Yeah. But you talk about, like, something like that, you're, you're, it's a wonderful value. You know, uh, and delicious. Absolutely. Yeah. Really I, good. You know, I, I think whiskey shortage is, is a funny term, right? It because is. I only ever hear that when people are talking about single malt. But single malt is still only 10% of the scotch business coming out of Scotland. 90% of the sales is blended that's a, scotch whiskey. That's a very good yeah. And there's plenty of that. I mean, yep. I think blended scotch whiskey is going to be one of those categories that's going to be making a serious move back to the front of the whiskey industry in the coming years. Because just now we're, we're starting to hear about wood science and we're talking about uh, we're, we're hearing more about distillery talking about the investment that they do in research. Mm -hmm. Now, most of that is going to be uh, kind of directed towards the single malts, but expect very shortly to see those knowledge, that knowledge and uh, those new science discoveries mm -hmm. make their way into the blended scotch whiskeys mm -hmm. to give us some spectacular uh, affordable drams out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, we're, I'm seeing it a lot. Edrington is definitely at the forefront of this, you know, like uh, Alpha Grouse was a great innovation showing really the full versatility of, of what they could do with blended whiskeys. And now they're coming out with naked grouse, which is going to be a pure malt. Okay. Absolutely no grain whiskey. And this is something we're going to see here in, in Canada and North America as a whole. Uh, it just hit some, some certain market. I think mm -hmm. it's in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's out in the Nordic countries as well. I've seen it in the duty freeze. And this is an absolutely fantastic whiskey coming under $50 a bottle uh -huh. or right around that area. And this is going to be coming out here. And as a pure malt, you know, any fans of, of the monkey shoulders out there or the Johnny Walker green label, it's going to be absolutely amazed to see that at that price point. We're getting something that's right up there with the, the other big boys of the uh, pure malt category. And we're Are talking Canadian dollars, too. So oh, yeah. this is, you know, 
divide by a third and uh, that's your (laughs) (laughs) so pure malt i've heard the term like vatted vatted malt is well no and you can't use vatted malt anymore because vatted malt could uh, refer to a single malt as well as a blended malt right so it it, it got kind of confusing yeah so when you say pure malt is it's a blended malt yeah so meaning that all the malted barley's whiskey come from different distilleries Mm -hmm. and then are blended together so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the single malt of the blended world. Right, uh, right. That's not too confusing. I hope. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I got it straight. I got yep. it straight. It took it took me a while though to figure it out because someone once asked me about Monkey Shoulder and and said and they referred to it as a vatted malt and I was like, I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, because everything but everything that's not single now. cask or single barrel is is vatted, right? Right. So yes. It's, it's, you're basically just calling it whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, there's really no distinction uh, to be made. All right. Should we, should we try the, the bad boy? Yeah. 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 And, then, and then I want to hear, and I want to hear about your trip, your last trip to Scotland and you can make oh, us all yeah. jealous of oh, all yeah, your wonderful absolutely. adventures. Oh my gosh. This. Well, actually that, that's going to tie in very, very nicely because, um, on my last trip to Scotland, I actually got to spend quite a bit of time with, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Nicola Risk who's actually uh, used to be the blended malt, uh, uh, blended whiskey brand ambassador in the US for Famous Grass and Cuddysark. And she just now relocated to Madrid, Spain oh, wow. to be the, uh, the McAllen brand ambassador over there. Whoa. Yeah, great, great job. Uh, great I, couldn't, I couldn't think of anybody more deserving than her. She's absolutely fantastic. Everybody that meets her loves her. It's mm-hmm. very hard to go around that. So I actually got to discuss about this precise bottling with her quite a bit as we were you know, uh, <laughs> traveling across Scotland uh, going to the McCallum distilleries in Speyside, uh, just kind of walking through the warehouses, trying whiskey from the casks, going through the new distillery, which is going to open in spring 2018, which is absolutely wow. fantastic. I mean, the word spectacular doesn't even start to describe this facility. It's completely That's molded awesome. into the scenery of the land. It's going to be under, like half underground distillery. Oh, wow. The roof is basically three uh, rolling hills that oh are going to be covered with grass. So it's what? perfectly hidden in, in the scenery of, of Speyside. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's going to be absolutely romantic. Once you get there, you, you, it kind of looks like a little bit of a hobbit village in, in some way. That's very cool. <laughs> but they make whiskey over there instead of, you know, I don't know, whatever hobbits what, do, I dancing and eating food, <laughs> which doesn't sound half bad <laughs> no, if you no, ask me anyway. To be fine. fair, they, they kind of do that as well. Uh, <laughs> but, and then right down the hill, you have the Spey River coming right down, uh, right next to the distillery. Wow. This is where, uh, this is our main water source for cooling down uh, our new mixed spirit, our mash. Uh, this also what we use for uh, uh, making our beer that, that we're actually well, making our mash. That's going to become our whiskey. And you can actually go out there, visit the McCown Distillery. And if you reserve a little bit ahead, you can go fish, fly fish in the Spear River for some salmon oh my with, God. Uh, with our ghillie, which is uh, the men responsible to look over the whole estate of the McCown because it sits over 370 acres of land right there uh, in Aberlour, Craigalaki. We shouldn't say this as a Canadian, but Scotch salmon is is, is damn great. Oh, absolutely, it's, it's so delicious. I don't know if I've ever had it. You it, never it, say no to a Scotsman asking you if you want some salmon. It's all right. always great. It's, it's, like, it's a good tip. little colder and it's fattier and oh, it's yeah, wonderful. And they're Excellent. big, huh? Yeah. We we actually had a little bit of whiskey uh, next to the river, and oh, you know, I actually you posted it on my Instagram feed uh, for anybody who follows me, so you can actually uh, go see it at at Nick underscore Villalon. 
and I'm actually ha enjoying some 12-year-old fine oak McAllen right by the river's bay. And uh, right as we were taking the picture, a big fat salmon was actually jumping in the river. What? It's very like you're like you can you couldn't make that on do that on purpose. It's just oh something that gosh. happens and and makes it that much uh, that much greater. Well, we'll post a link on that to the show notes so that you can <laughs> take a look at that. Looks that looks yeah, great. Yeah, holy moly. So I was talking with Nicola over there, and uh, as as we moved from Scotland, we obviously went down to uh, to the south of Spain in uh, Eres de la Frontera, where sherry is made. Right? We went to visit our cooperages down there, uh, Vasima Cooperage and Tevasa Cooperage, where we make the sherry casks from scratch. So importing the American or the Spanish oak, cutting it down into staves, letting them air dry for a period of up to three years in the dry Spanish air before we turn it into a barrel. Now that barrel is afterwards going to be seasoned with sherry coming from uh, various bodegas. Mainly we're going to be dealing with uh, uh, William and Umbert, as well as uh, uh, Lustau. And uh, there's a third one that's going to come back to me, which is very, very classic. They make Tio Pepe, for example, but three of the larger producers of sherry. So we actually ran some sherry from them to put into our casks and season the cask for once again up to three years. There's more people drinking sherry cascade whiskeys today than drinking sherry. So we actually have yeah. to pay them to overproduce their stock so we have wow. something to put in the barrels. I mean, it's amazing just to think of that. Like in, in Kentucky, they, they age the, the, the oak for what about a year, typically eight months to, mm -hmm. to a year, mm -hmm. uh, just outdoors, just to kind of yep. season yeah. it that way. And then a lot of people do kiln drying as well nowadays yeah. just to accelerate the process. You lose a little bit of flavor doing so. Obviously, the high temperature will caramelize some of those sugars that are uh, at that point not extractable for, uh, for the spirit. Uh, the natural air drying is actually a very, very important process. It's extremely expensive yeah. uh, in both time and money, but it just yields such a beautiful whiskey afterwards. You know, when, when you, you pride yourself on making whiskeys without any compromise to quality, which is what Edrington has always done, uh, it's important for us to make sure that every single step of our whiskey making process is of the utmost quality. Yeah. And we're talking about authenticity in a product. That, that's it right there. Yeah, like exactly. That's... that's Authentic. You, right. know, you, you pick that up. You, yeah. You will, yeah you know. A lot of people will say, oh, well, you produce so much whiskey at this point, it can't right. be craft anymore. And I guarantee you go down there to the cooperages yeah. where they don't use any machineries to make those barrels. Yeah. The, the only one piece of machinery that they use is uh, a machine that pulls on a chain just to curve the staves, yeah. just because it's human strength couldn't do that. That's the only piece of machinery they use for the whole process. Everything else is made by hand. You see those big Spanish men just flogging around barrels as if they were like paper bags. It's crazy. They, it looked like they weigh nothing. I had to put all my weight behind one just to, <laughs> just to tilt it. And they're just moving those around, making about 90 a day each. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Still wow. remember those uh, Kentucky men making me feel very, uh, very small <laughs> yeah. as they were Huey, thrown up. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, wow, why is every man here yeah. taller and handsomer and rugged, more rugged than I am? Like, and Mark damn. doesn't even want to change his light bulbs up there. <laughs> I know, it's so long. I've got tall ceilings. I can't need Glenford to come by and change my light bulbs. Um, the term handyman becomes very, yeah. very <laughs> and think about it those are 250 liter barrels right in spain oh, that's right. they make 500, 500 liter sherry yeah. butts yeah so those are as tall as someone they actually reach like right under my chin wow Amazing. wow huge barrels absolutely huge barrels all right jamie that's going to be your next next goal to go to spain and watch the men oh make gosh. barrels in spain over there instead of drinking a lot more whiskey you drink a lot more sherry which is absolutely fantastic yeah. i don't understand why not more people drink sherry i don't know what's going on like what's happening like yeah, you're you should get someone who, who does sherry to come on the show and then yeah. tell people all yeah. about the good stuff uh, that that they make down there and you know if it wasn't with that for for them 
we have a hard time making like such tasty whiskeys. Yeah. It's yeah. such Let's a big part the of our industry. industry. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like nowadays, McCallum owns on, well, between McCallum and Highland Park, we own between 80 to 90% of every single sherry casks in the industry. So if, if one day we stop making sherry casks, whiskey, there's not going to be any sherry made anymore, right? It's going to be kind of the death of the industry. So it's a little bit crazy. I think people should really kind of uh, look into it because it's so good. It's absolutely good. It doesn't have anything to do with port. You can get some beautiful Oloroso out there that are nutty, savory, almost savory, dry sherries, beautiful, easy drinking. Um, friends of ours did um, uh, a sherry and uh, sherry finished scotch pairing tasting. Yeah. Um, uh, Jen Jen, mm -hmm. uh, Matt Mark, um, and they they said it was a wonderful like they it was a really good experience. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and some pairings worked, others didn't, but there there is something there. Yeah. Uh, from the flavor profile. Oh yeah, it's definitely a, a whole different flavor palette out there mm -hmm. with sherry it's stuff that we we never expect from wine or any fortified wine for that matter. And you know, I got to try my fair share while I was down there. We were actually having our dinners down in, in in the bodegas where they make sherry, right? So you walk in that huge bodega that has hundreds of thousands of barrel, and right in the middle of one of the alley of barrels, they have a table set. Oh, and you're just sitting that's there. That's so and, nice. Oh, it was crazy. And you have this beautiful Spanish dinner. You enjoy some sherries. You enjoy some beautiful whiskeys on top of it. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's really, really mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, not everyone gets to have that. No. And no. I, mean, I mean, of course, I might be a little bit biased towards sherry right now, but everybody should try yes, it. Yes, everybody. Go ahead and buy some sherry at your right. local liquor store. Save them account right. some money here. Um, right. But no, this should be like a conservation thing. For every two bottles of scotches you buy, buy one bottle of sherry. There you, you know, go. Like, just to keep, there you go. keep the numbers uh, gift fair. Packs, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, but uh, speaking of sherry's, uh, sherry cask, we're going to forget about those just a little bit because they're not used uh, <laughs> for <laughs> this no particular whiskey. <laughs> now, Cutisart Prohibition is actually uh, uh, coming back to the, uh, the inception of, of Cutisart, really. So this was a, a brand that was actually invented in 1927, right in the, in the heat of Prohibition down in America. And it was purely made to you know, quench the thirst of the American market during Prohibition because someone had the great idea of saying that alcohol should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you can try to do that again today. I think you would get even more of a, uh, 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 of a revolution going in the country. So uh, what they did for this is essentially making a blend, blended whiskey that had that correct, uh, ca characteristic American uh, whiskey kind of flavor profile. It was meant to be super light. You know, in the, at this era, even bourbon uh, was super light. People would age it for minimum amount of times just so they could put it in a bottle and on shelf and profit for it, uh, from it as fast as possible. So the whiskeys were mainly known to be very light, very spirit forward, and not influenced by the oak too much. Mm -hmm. So Cuddy Sark Original, very, very, very similar to that. You know, if you try some, some one-year-old uh, uh, bourbons out there, you're going to get some very, very similar flavor profile. You know, we're talking about an era where people really didn't care much about the flavor profile of their, their whiskeys, right? <laughs> what they wanted to do is take their shot, yeah. get that shiver down their spine, and get the effect from it. Right. That was the only purpose of whiskey. Because if you got caught with it, you were in big trouble. There was no time to sip on that stuff. It was just shooting it back. And I think a lot of people are still doing exactly that with Cuddy Sark uh, <laughs> Original today or mixing it up with, with some uh, different types of pop. Now, this one kind of brings back Cuddy Sark in uh, today's era. 
And uh, the Prohibition Edition name is, is merely just a, a flashback to the Prohibition era when it was invented. But this one is meant to be savored on its own by itself. So it has a higher con concentration of malted whiskeys in there. It's actually majority malted whiskeys rather than grain whiskey in this one. And uh, all of those malted whiskeys have actually been aged in first refilled bourbon barrel. So uh, uh, extremely fresh barrels that still have a lot of flavor rather than, than using those exhausted barrels, you actually impart a lot more of the woody flavors to the whiskey, and it really shows on the final product. Now, this is a naturally colored whiskey, so non-chill filtered as well. Beautiful color on there. You can see a nice dark taint to it, which is not very typical of most uh, blended scotches. After that, we bottle at 50 proof. Uh, 50%, yeah. 100 yeah. proof. So it has that bigger, bolder kind of flavor to it. It's and got body. Bite. Oh, it's got a nice bite. Yeah. It's got a nice bite. That's too, what yeah. a lot of people love about this scotch. Yeah. Uh, when we first launched it, it kind of instantly melted off the shelves here in Canada because a lot of those single malt whiskey fans were seeing such great value in a $37.25 bottle of whiskey. They were saying, this is your everyday thirst whiskey. It's something you, 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 can, you don't mind if you kill the bottle in a week or in a month. That's not the issue there because the price point is so affordable, but you get so much flavor. This one is all butterscotch and cracked pepper. It's crazy how those two flavors for me, even just on the nose, comes through right away. And then on the palate, you really feel that cracked pepper, that nice heat from the spices that just works well with the, the high proof. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I it's like a, this one. This is great. This is like a bourbon drinker dream. It's not, it's oh, not yeah. oaky, but that, yeah, that no, pepper sure. spice and the fact that it's got so much bite yeah. um, is uh, is a wonderful, wonderful combination. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of bourbon drinkers actually uh, are pretty crazy about this dram right here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see how it kind of rallies the troop from the whiskey world, whichever category is your favorite, back to one bottling. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? It also, may I say it, uh, dare I say it, uh, makes great cocktails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this grows fantastically in a, a Rub Roar or even a Bobby Burns. Uh, the high proof really allows the whiskey to pop through and, and kind of stand its ground. And of course, all, all, always amazing in spirit forward cocktails. And I know Mark is, is, a, is a fan of cocktail as well as Jamie here. But uh, you can actually mix that one up in long drinks. Uh, I've kind you of dabbled around right tiki drinks <laughs> with this one and, and brought some exotic flavors in. And the whiskey being high proof really comes through, which makes it great for, for, for the higher quality kind of cocktails out there. I'm really um, digging this so label. So you guys talk. I'm going to make a Manhattan with that right now because oh, yeah, I, um, I really want to try it. <laughs> I love it. Just do it two to one. Yeah, bit of bitter. Uh, half sweet and dry or? Uh, no, just, uh, just sweet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, your traditional uh, uh, Rub Roy right there. I've never seen Mark just get up and abandon a podcast. <laughs> and he's like, I just got to go make a cocktail right now. Like, he had nothing, like nothing was going to hold him back from that. No. He was like, made up his mind five minutes ago. Well, you know what? I, I love seeing someone who's so excited about whiskey by itself also being a big fan of cocktails because oh, yeah. we're definitely seeing something that a lot of people like to call the new golden age of cocktail making. Uh, it used to be that cocktails were only a, a way of getting rid of your bad products mix, mixed in them so you don't have to taste them. But nowadays, we're seeing very, very talented bartenders putting out books, podcasts mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. YouTube videos, showing people how to make great cocktails at home that respects the quality of the it's product fair. you put into them. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, a cocktail is a chain, right? It's only as strong as its weakest ingredient. So if you're going to use premium, premium products, you want to use premium mixers as well. Right. And this is where the world of house-made syrup and, and bitters is kind of 
coming through and, and, and making uh, things happen for, for, for that world. Are you looking for your, your vermouth, though? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you? Ah. Because the proper glassware does make everything taste better. That's right. <laughs> Mark is a glassware nerd. It's important. I'm, I'm, an, I'm the same. Uh, whoa. That's, that's a proper jigger. Like <laughs> a four cups jigger. This is, uh, this is the way you want to do. Whoa. To be fair, this is how Matt Jones makes most of his cocktails. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brings two if he has to share. <laughs> Hi, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, getting back to the cocktail world, and you know, a lot of people will say it's sacrilege to to mix any you know good whiskeys out there. Uh, but I'm a big believer that you can drink a whiskey however it feels good to you, however it tastes good to you. And for me, whiskey is such a, a community, community, and it's such yeah. uh, a social thing. Yeah. You know, enjoying whiskey that. Drinking whiskey with people who know about it is something I love doing. But when I get to introduce someone to whiskey, kind of uh, uh, bring people into the category, it's something that I'm even prouder of, uh, kind of making them discover that beautiful world. Because I always say it's a very deep rabbit hole. And once you fall, there's kind of no looking back. You're just going to keep falling for a long time. And I don't, I don't think we're going to be recruiting consumers over the next few years through exclusively neat tasting. Right. Actually, right. actually I think yep. neat tasting is something that might be very intimidating to a lot of people. For sure. And very hard to come by. But I think if people who don't like whiskeys try a cocktail that is spirit forward or not, mm -hmm. and they like it, they might say, you know what, I might give whiskey another try. And then kind of take it into account just enough to start liking it and then maybe discover more about it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, so I know for me in particular, like my introduction to whiskey came through cocktails. Yeah. So I, you know, uh, you start figuring out what, what, you know, the bartender used to make your Manhattan or your old fashioned. Yep. And then you literally go down the rabbit hole from there. And I think uh, that's absolutely. what's happening for a lot of people is they're starting to ask for specific spirits in there. You know, they want a Knob Creek old fashioned, yep. not just whatever, um, you know wild turkey not that there's anything wrong with wild turkey i love wild turkey but like people have uh have their preference yeah absolutely and then and then you just sort of like i sort of spiraled out of control from there so yep. it was like you know i want to know i want to learn and then uh so that's sort of uh for a lot of people how they would get into it and it's it, it's not yeah because who's who is going to say like uh I I'm going to a whiskey tasting tonight like it doesn't it doesn't happen like that very often like it how would you ever do that? Well, I feel like for yeah. us, it, it's kind of something common because we, we know do people it all the time. Do that. Exactly. But then yes, but when, as soon as you kind of get out of that little circle of friends, yeah. you realize, holy crap, that's not something that anybody else anybody does. Anybody else does. <laughs> I know it's true. It's true. We take it for granted. Too. You can tell from the fact that every tasting or, or large scale tastings that I, I do personally as a brand ambassador, you know, you see the same 30 to 40 faces yes. kind of cycle through all the yes. time and it's it, it's absolutely normal it's always Mark. a pleasure to get <laughs> to share new knowledge with those people and and, and new ideas uh, but it's always fun to have new people coming in and asking yeah. the, the good questions so I, I think a good example of that is uh, something actually the McCown did recently and you might have seen it on social media because it kind of created uh, uh, a bit of a wave and I don't know if that's a positive or a ne negative thing. I, th I guess we're going to see in the coming years. But McCown started to dabble in the, the high-end cocktail making. Right. So what they did is they actually partnered up uh, with uh, one of, uh, of the world's top bar called White Lion. 
after making a post on their social media of a, a Macan cocktail, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Macan Siena old-fashioned style of cocktail, and as you can expect it, the a lot a lot of keyboard warrior uh, got to their keypads and 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 started uh, being very very belligerent on on the comments in the comments of that yeah. picture, and it, it made me super happy because I, I'm glad to see some people have that much time. To actually write like a book on an Instagram post about how you should never mix uh, a high quality single malt. Right. And uh, I'm just as passionate as these guys are about their single malt, especially Macallan. And you know, it's it's there's a learning curve there mixing Macallan Sienna, right. beautiful single malt yeah. in, in a yeah. cocktail. But uh, what they've done with the White Lion is they actually took three of those commentator on that Instagram post, flew them to London. <gasps> And uh, sat them sat, sat sat them down with the two bartenders from White Lion, and they broke down uh, McAllen in four cocktails, representing every step of whiskey making. So the soil, the grain, fermentation, distillation, and maturation in four different cocktails. And they posted the video online. It's actually on YouTube. You can go see Amazing. it. Amazing. We'll put we'll post a link. And, yeah. and you know those were the three hardest judges that you could think of. People that were adamant about the fact that yeah. you should never mix whiskey oh, and wow. their mind just exploded as they went through the, the cocktails they found out that yes you can make a cocktail that has all, all those funky ingredients into something that you truly enjoy and where, you're, yeah. where the whiskey transpires wow. you know yeah it, that's awesome whiskey's about an experience and mm-hmm. yeah i'm not saying that everybody at home should start making single malt whiskey cocktail with a 200 400 bottle right yeah it's a little bit like truffle right like you give truffle to someone who doesn't know how to cook yeah he's not going to be able to right. do it justice yeah but you put it in the hand of a, a, a very good chef and then you're going to get a beautiful dish yeah what basically i'm trying to say is next time you go in a bar and you see a single malt cocktail in the cocktail list mm-hmm. Maybe just not lift your nose at it. And if you're a whiskey fan, yeah, I, I'd say this might be the first one you need to try. Yeah. For sure. I think I think a lot, like the higher proof scotches make wonderful Rob Roy's. Uh, the this is a I mean this is yeah. great. This is like uh, really well uh, done, what kind Arthur. of an I enjoy uh, kind of an hand I enjoy. Um, well done. Hmm. Oh yeah, I'm back. <laughs> After realizing my jigger was in the dishwasher and, <laughs> and using a giant one-liter plastic mixing cup. Anyway, this is very, very romantic. Um, very romantic. Yeah, very, very romantic. classic. So yes. much caramel on that, huh? So not, not a much. flavor I'm usually getting in the Manhattan, but you get a lot of caramel. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's all the Cutty Sark prohibition right there. That's Except amazing. Big yeah. butterscotch flavor profile in there. Huh? Absolutely fantastic. No, standing out beautifully. Those, yeah. those key sweet flavors are standing out nicely. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well done, you guys. Oh, it's okay. Marcio didn't want, didn't need one anyways. No, no, he's got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Marcio. We'll, we'll finish that drink for you. <laughs> so, Nick, how long have you been brand ambassador? I've uh, been a brand ambassador for three years now. Three years. Yeah. I was there for your first uh, first time up, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, for whiskeys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it was the uh, the Highland Park Freya launch. Yeah, at Versailles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Very wow. memorable. So, how much of you were just talking about social media? I'm really curious. Um, has that landscape changed in the last like since you first started to now um, and being a brand ambassador and and how important is that social media piece to you? And has do you think it's going to keep being more important? Yeah. I think it's both very, very important and not important at all. It's mm-hmm. it's a very weird paradox, and let me explain what I mean by that. It's very important because 
people are getting more and more knowledgeable about whiskey every day. You know, everybody having a mobile phone in their pocket makes a lot of the information readily available. Whatever you wonder about a bottle before you buy it, you can actually research and then find out about. But at the same time, people are looking for more information. For, so for me, it's kind of trying to show a little bit of the experience that goes behind it, right? Kind of the, the context in which our whiskeys exist in the world right now. At the same time, I think it's really, really not important in the sense that I don't think that if I post one picture, it's going to make or break the McCallan. Right. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. uh, the McCallan is, is much greater than, than my personal brand. And I'm going to use huge quotation mark here is. Uh, but I enjoy doing it, which is why it's important to me. Uh, I don't think, you know, that uh, uh, brands are dictated by social medias nowadays, but I think it's important for brands to have social medias, to have those conversations with their, their direct consumers. Uh, I think we're seeing people having less brand loyalty today uh, as, as they used to uh, a number of years ago. A good example is uh, my granddad would drink Tanqueray. Don't ask him if you want a gin tonic. He doesn't like gin, but he drinks Tanqueray. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about the category. It was really about the brand. He was drinking a brand, not a category. T today, people are gin drinkers, bourbon drinkers, scotch drinkers, but they don't have just one of those brands at home. They have multiple uh, bottles of right. various brands. So they're kind of loyal to a, a category. So I think a little bit of, of the way people are going to relate to a brand is if they're able to have that conversation. So for me, my social media is all about having that conversation with people. I'm always super happy to see someone comment or ask a question on one of my pictures or my posts. And I'm always more than happy to actually reply to it. You brought here last time you came here, you were, you brought a bunch of expensive single malt scotch. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the M the this, and we were, we were just flabbergasted, but likewise, I mean, the black grouse can't get it anymore. Um, yeah. that one in particular, but they do have special bottles. Uh, that come out once in a while and all these were very reasonable Absolutely. Uh, uh i'm loving this manhattan it's uh fantastic. this is going to be my new favorite manhattan re recipe i think i'm going to do just a little bit more prohibition a little less vermouth and it'll be it'll be perfect you know i like my manhattan a little bit wetter like this one so this is perfect for me but that's the beauty about a cocktail you can actually just adjust it to your taste right and i think that's uh essentially what i want people to to remember from today is uh, you know give other categories a try again uh we starting to see some beautiful bottles out there that weren't available when we when some people maybe gave up on rum or even blended whiskeys so yeah you know give rum a chance again give blended whiskeys a, a chance again give give scotch cocktails a chance for once i mean uh we we've never lived in a better era of of whiskey and spirits drinking to to try beautiful cocktails and beautiful products and you can do so at any price point right you can start at, at 35 dollars a bottle and you can go all the way up to 6500 dollars a bottle all depends what your paycheck looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did the math once, how, how much money you'd have to make where you could buy a $1,000 bottle of scotch. And I, I think it was like half a million dollars a year or something. Because you're like, what's their version of a $50 whiskey? Right. It's a $1,000 well, bottle. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of people, you know, when I, I read the words like, this is too expensive. Yeah. You know, I used to say that about a, a $3 beer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't buy a beer if it wasn't anywhere more than $2 a piece, right? Yeah. I would do the math seriously to see it. <laughs> Whereas now I can buy a $5 beer and not feel bad about exactly. my budget afterwards. So it's all relative. Let's all keep that in mind. Well, we're all very fortunate. I mean, that's what we're saying. We're very fortunate to be enjoying <laughs> yeah. these drinks. And um, 
and it's a nice luxury that we enjoy. Yeah. Um, but we don't always have to spend a lot of money to enjoy this luxury. Um, I think I love the hunt of finding those rare whiskeys, oh, yeah. but I don't like the hunt of finding rare whiskeys that are costing like 12 times the, the list price, right? <laughs> I like the hunt of like, oh, I found this for $40. Yeah. That's great. Um, but if you have the money, enjoy it. Like, please go. do. Yeah. It, it's not a, it's not a judgment call. Um, but it's uh, great to taste these uh, three wonderful whiskeys, well, two whiskeys and a, and a rum, uh, and, uh, and enjoy them uh, equally. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. My pleasure to bring them out, guys. It's always Thanks. fun to sit here. Thanks so much All for right. coming. Thank, Thank you so much you. for Nicholas. Where can people find you on Instagram and Twitter? So uh, Instagram and Twitter is uh, at Nick, N-I-C-K, underscore Villalon, V-I-L-L-A-L-O-N. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to be uh, as funny as, as I can be, which means <laughs> not much most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of like me. Yeah. Um, we were, uh, Jamie and I were at uh, the Raise the McAllen event earlier in the week. Uh, you were in, in front of 200 plus people. My dog Thor is being chatty. Uh, in front of 200 plus people uh, doing Raise the McAllen event. Yep. Uh, you do that every year. Yeah. Uh, was, that was your second session of the night. Second session of the um, night, yeah. Fourth, fourth of the year, yeah. And the McAllen's got some interesting things coming out too. You've got the twelve double, uh, twelve double cast coming out yes. uh, early next year. Uh, already out in the U.S. though. Yeah, uh, so talk I think, about I it. I think it's available in, uh, in Alberta as well. Yeah. So it's uh, our third expression of twelve-year-old McAllen, right? It's uh, a further statement by the the house that you know when you're making whiskey, it's really not about the age; it's really about the type of wood that you use uh, to age the whiskey in. So uh, double cask is going to be a, a mixture of both American oak and Spanish oak sherry casks, yeah. uh, mainly dominated by American oak. So a lighter, softer, a bit more complex and refined expression of the 12-year-old uh, classic flagship products from the house. Uh, we also have our second edition, uh, edition number two, from our yearly launch that we're going to be doing uh, for the foreseeable future, which is a uh, fully transparent, as far as the law will allow us, meaning that you get the whole breakdown of every cask type that goes into every single vatting. So edition number two is going to be a vatting of 372 barrels total, uh, uh, four different cask types. And we actually partnered up with the Roca Brothers with, uh, from the El Celer de Can Roca restaurant out in Spain, which has been named for the second time running best restaurant in the world. So the three brothers partnered up with Bob Delgarno, our master blender, to select beautiful cask from the McAllen uh, Aging Warehouses to vat together to make uh, a very, very special bottling. Higher proof McAllen, 48%. Non-chill filtered, non-colored whiskey. Uh, actually, brought a little bit to celebrate the end of this, uh, this yeah. podcast afterwards. Oh. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of going crazy on this uh, uh, this expression of the McCallum because you really get everything. You know, not only was it first fill, second fill, American oak or European oak sherry cask, but also which bodega uh, provided the, the the sherry that we see in the barrels with, and then you get the breakdown in percentage of sherry butts to sherry hogshead to sherry punchins that goes into the vatting it's pretty crazy the amount of information that you get on there yeah amazing cool. no that's really great and i mean it's great seeing mccallan uh you know supply and demand but you guys have ramped up and now you've got other products coming out yeah uh that are kind of mixing and matching with and a, yeah. and a, a very good price point as well oh yeah it's yeah. gonna come out at 178 dollars comedian goes for 99 dollars in the u.s i think nice so yeah beautiful price point Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Um, you, Jamie, where can people find you and your adventures? Uh, I'm at Bourbon Thing Hooray. on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Mark Bylock, M-A-R-K-B-Y-L-O-K. -I, I, I can't. I'm this, this Manhattan has me. Uh, <laughs> Mouth-watering Manhattan is beautiful. And one day I was... 50% ABV, right? <laughs>
I think we just had our turning moment. I think so. <laughs> Podcast number two coming up. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Yeah.